be there this morning. We, uh, I, some of you weren't here, so I'll share this story real quick. Um, last week, we began 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't know what the heading says in your Bible, but in mine it says, Excel in Giving. Um, so we had lots of guests last week that came, and I had to teach on giving. Now that happens literally every time I mention money or anything. People show up that have never been here before, and they're like, oh great, I come to church, and they're talking about tithing. Oh my goodness, every time. Um, but I, I did take some time to talk about that because money is a stumbling block in the American church. And many times people will say, well, I don't go to church anymore because I was burned somewhere. They were always asking for money. And I always tell them, well, if you want to come to our church, whenever you come as a guest, don't worry, I'll talk about money. And it won't be because I think you need to learn about giving. It'll be just because that's where we are in the scripture. Um, but many times, most of the time, we don't talk about money at all. I've had people ask me before, like, hey, I want to tithe or I want to give money uh, even as a visitor. How do I do that? You guys didn't take an offering. Well, we don't do it that way. And it's not because of, it's wrong to do that. It's because the way we feel called to do this here in Arcadia Valley is to put a box in the back that no one knows is there unless they go here so that people don't feel like they have to give. But if they want to, they can and so if anybody ever asks you, why don't you pass the plate? It's not because we're more spiritual. We do trust that God will provide. But the main reason is because so many people have gone to church and I was one of them where I would give a couple bucks just because I felt like I had to. Like so-and-so sitting next to me would see that I didn't and they would look down on me for it. Well, God doesn't want us to give out of compulsion. He doesn't want us to give because we feel like we have to. He wants us to give cheerfully. Uh, and we're going to go over that in uh, chapter 9 today. But giving is a big topic in the church. And so in uh, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul had spoken to the Corinthian church about giving. And he said, I want you to excel in giving. Remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, he talked about how this church had all the spiritual gifts. They were spread about. This church was a gifted church. It had lots of problems. But God had given them all the gifts they needed to bless one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to build up the body of Christ, to do what it's called to do. And that's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians says. To, you know, church isn't just about what we do here. This is just a small fraction. This is home base, if you will. This is like the war room in the movie. Now, this isn't the prayer war room that the movie talks about. This is where we all get together. And we get trained to do what we're called to do, and that's to be salt and light in our lives and in the lives of others wherever we're planted. You know, many people think of ministry and they think of, well, uh, I, ministry just happens inside the church building. But if that was the case, then none of us do anything as far as ministry, right? I mean, because that's what percentage of the week. It's hardly any of it. It's one day. But for many of us, it's an hour and a half. And so what does ministry mean? It means to serve. Well, where do you go the predominant amount of your time? Where do you spend the predominant amount of your time? I, I would like to say that it's at home with my family, but it's not. It's with the people that I work with. Where am I supposed to share the gospel? Where am I supposed to love people like Jesus loves me? At my job, primarily. And then at home. That's not a priority. That's just the amount of time that I spend. I'm not there by coincidence. And so Paul talks about giving. 
And he, as he talks about giving, he gave us two examples last week. In verse 16 through 17 of chapter 8, sorry, verse 2 through 7 of chapter 8, he said this. He talked about the brethren or the churches in Macedonia. He says, In a great trial of affliction, affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They gave till it hurt. They gave more than they probably should have. But as much as they wanted to give, they gave liberally. And it says the, the um, prerequisites for the, the circumstances they were in when they gave was they were, in, they were in a trial of great affliction. But they had abundance of joy and they were in deep poverty. Yet because of the love that God had shown them through Jesus, they had a giving heart. He says, I bear witness that according to their ability, they gave. And yet... Uh, beyond their abilities, what he says in the end of uh, verse 3, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gifts and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul didn't say, hey, Macedonian churches, you have to give because God's broke and we need your help. That's many times what you hear. If you don't do it, then this thing's going to die. But God builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if God wants to provide for a need, he will stir up a group of people that have what they need to give, and he will stir them up to give. And I love this because notice what it said in verse 4, that the churches in Macedonia that were in great affliction, and they were in a huge amount of poverty, but they had great joy, they implored Paul, they said, receive what we have to give you. Please take what we have to give and give it to those who are in need. I love this. Paul didn't say, hey, you need to give. They said, hey, Paul, we need to give. They didn't say we want to give. They said we have this built up inside of us. We are just, we want to give. We see a need, and so we want to get involved. And the way that we can see that we can get involved, we can't go. We don't have the financial means to go, but what we do have is the ability to provide for them something. And notice that giving is proportional, but it's also whatever God lays on your heart. For them, it was above what they had to give practically. They had to give on faith, knowing that if they were going to give and God was calling them to give, then he would provide for them if they gave more than they had practically. And I love this because that's how God gives. He gave us the example of the Macedonian church. Now, last week, forgive me, but I failed and I said that it was just the Philippian church. But as I did a little bit more research, the Macedonian church was more of a region. So in Macedonia, you had Philippi, which we see the letter of Paul to the Philippians. You had Thessalonica, which was another church, and there was great persecution there. If you read the Thessalonians letter, it talks all about the second coming because their hope was not based on their circumstances because they were being persecuted. And so Paul encouraged them. He said, don't worry, serve the Lord. Jesus is going to come back and he will take care of those who are persecuting you. So they didn't have much and they were being persecuted, but they wanted to give to those who were also being persecuted because they could identify with the problems they were experiencing. And then the third church in that area that we know of is only spoken of in one place that I know of in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Berean church. And Paul said of them, they were more noble because they received the word of God that he taught them with all readiness. 
They were sponges. He would sit there and he would teach the Old Testament and reveal how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And as he revealed that, they received it with readiness, but then they went home and they studied it for themselves to see if what Paul was teaching was actually true. So they had a diligence. They loved the Word of God, and they wanted to make sure that what was being taught was actually biblical. And so these three groups had been loved by the Lord. They'd been compelled by God's love to give. And that's, that's what Paul's trying to tell the Corinthians. This group that has very little, they had a willing and a giving heart. And I've boasted to them. I've even stirred them up by telling them that you were willing, as you told me, the Corinthians had told Paul, oh yeah, we'd love to give to this, this cause. And he said, okay, you've said you want to, now let's put some feet to this faith. Let's put feet to what you've said. And many times we are guilty of this. We say we're going to do something and then we don't follow through with it. And the Lord says, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Corinthians, you've got an abundance and he said that last week. And so um, I'm just going to read through a couple of verses there in uh, verse 8 through 10. He gave us the example at the beginning of the chapter of the Macedonian church, but then he gave us the example of Jesus. Now, our example of what we follow to follow the Lord, our God, should always come down to Jesus. What, what would Jesus do? You know, it, it became a cliche that was on a bracelet. And it, I think we became numb to it. But the question is, what did Jesus do? Not would he do, what would he do, but what did he do while he was here? And so he spoke of that in verse 8 and 9. He said, I, I speak not by commandment that you excel in giving, but he says, I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He says, in a way, I'm kind of comparing you to your siblings in the faith. They're giving out of their lack what will you do with your uh, abundance? Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave what we did not deserve. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I like that. God so loved the world that he gave. And if you want to show that God loves the world practically, sometimes God gives you opportunities to give. And notice how Jesus gave. Though he was rich, he became poor so that those who received the gift would be rich. For your sakes, he says, Jesus became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. He left heaven. He came down to us. It'd be like us taking on the flesh of a maggot and living underneath a stump. God left heaven, perfection, glorious riches uh, in the presence of his Father. And he said, they decided sometime before the earth was even framed that Jesus would be the one to come down into this earth to take on human flesh and to die to bring back the relationship that was lost at the fall. Jesus got personally involved to meet this spiritual need but he had to do it practically. And so um, it says there um, that the Old Testament principle of abundance is a principle that we should live out in the Christian church. He's talking about giving. And then Paul talks about there in verse 13 through 15, he says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened. Now think about that. That's a big political thing right now, you know. Oh, they're going to tax us more to pay the people that don't do anything. You know, that's what you hear people say. 
But in the Christian church, it's not so that one group would be able to just do whatever they want, and then the other group has to work all the time. But what he says there in verse 13, he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and that you should be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time, your abundance at this time, there are seasons in life. Kelly and I, during our five years of marriage, we're getting ready to celebrate five years. There have been times where we've, got, we've had plenty. We've been able to give. And there's been times where we've had a lack and others have blessed our socks off. The, the idea is that whatever we need that God always provides, and sometimes he uses the body of Christ to meet that need. He says, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack. Remember, the gospel came forth from Jerusalem and supplied their spiritual lack. They didn't have the gospel. They didn't know about Jesus. And so the Jerusalem church had sent out people to share the gospel. And now that these churches are thriving in the Gentile territories, the Gentiles have a way to kind of pay them back. Not so much paying Jesus back, but in a way just being able to take what they have and give it back to them. They sent back to them some financial fruit. That their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. And then he quoted from Exodus, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And this was when manna was falling from heaven in order to provide the daily food rations for the Israelites who'd been just delivered from Egypt. They left Egypt with no food. And so God provided for them miraculously this bread from heaven, this manna. It would drop from the sky. I heard one guy kind of compare it to um, Krispy Kreme, except it wasn't donuts. It was this bread that tasted like honey. It was like a graham cracker. Did you know that honey has every nutrient that the human body needs? It can sustain you for a lot longer than most foods. And so we have this example of how God provided all of this manna that would land on the ground. And what it says there, he's quoting from Exodus, is that those who gathered much, meaning they gathered more than they needed, it says that they had nothing left over. That's interesting. If they gathered more than they needed, why wouldn't they have too much left over? Well, because those that didn't gather enough were able to get from those who had gathered too much. Make sense? Well, what you'll know is about the manna during the week, God said, gather some and don't keep any overnight. Make sure it's all used up. Well, if they kept it overnight, and of course they tested him on that, the next morning it was putrefied. It smelled nasty. They didn't have no Tupperware. They didn't have no refrigerator. And it, it just didn't last. And so in the morning they'd wake up and they left it on the table like sometimes happens, right? You got kids, they leave the food out and you forget it's there. And you get up in the morning you're like, whoa, that stinks, a cup of milk. You ever do the sippy cup of milk and you wake up in the morning, you're like, open it up to clean it. You're like, whoa, that's, that's horrid. Well, that happened no matter what with manna. It was putrefied if it was left out overnight. But if you gave it to somebody that didn't have enough, they could eat it and it would be useful. And in the same way, those who didn't gather enough were able to receive. So there's this giving, there's this sharing. But they did that recognizing that the food that they had, it came miraculously from God. If God's provided it for us and we don't actually need it in our own house, maybe someone else does. You ever thought about that? God provides everything that we need. When we started this church, my pastor told me and the board did, they said, hey, if God provides you more money than you need, ask him, pray, Lord, why is this here? 
you must have a need, otherwise you wouldn't give us this provision. You know? And I heard another guy say this. He said, money is like manure. I won't say the P word. Money is like manure, okay? So if you leave it up in a pile, what does it do? It stinks. But if you spread it over the garden, what does it do? It brings life. There's growth that can come from that being spread over the dirt. And so in the same way, God does that with finances. He does that with time. He does that with resources that you don't even think about. You've got too much of it. Someone else probably needs it. There's no coincidences. And so this whole thing about giving turns into verse 16 where he says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of a specific person by the name of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation or the strong encouragement, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. So in verse 16 through 17, we have this person Paul talks about, Titus, a man who had the heart of giving. And his giving looks a little different than what we've talked about so far. We think about somebody having resources and giving them. But instead, Titus's calling is to go to the Corinthians instead of Paul and to give them an opportunity to give, to present an opportunity to take the resources they have and take them to Jerusalem. So Titus has been chosen by the Lord to be this ambassador to take what God has raised up financially in Jerusalem to give it to others. And their role was not as those who gathered a little or had no lack, but instead the Corinthian role was to get those who had gathered much and had nothing left over to be able to pass some of them on to someone else. And I love this because there is an opportunity. How many of you like to have friends that always have needs? I mean, most of us, we like to have friends that have something to give us. Maybe you're different than I am. But I, many times I'm more of a good, I'm a cheerful receiver more than I'm a cheer, cheerful giver. You know, I'm always, I kind of hoard stuff. I'm a hoarder. Now, not as much as some people are, but I still have a hoarding tendency. And I love this because when God gives us friends that have lots of needs and he's supplied more for us, he's seeking to bless us. Titus heard that the Corinthians were ready to give. He heard that there was a need in Jerusalem. And so he was excited because he was getting ready to see God provide for people through people they didn't even know. You know, God gives me friends that have needs, and many times I close my eyes to it. And there's a condemnation in that. There's a conviction in that. Because in 1 John chapter 3, this is what, um, the, uh, the half, well, this is what the Apostle John had to say. 1 John chapter 3, um, verse 16. This is the outworking of love. By this we know love, because Jesus laid his life down for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods... Now, we many times make that a spiritual thing. You know, we think it's only something spiritual. I need to lay my life down so that people know the gospel. But sometimes, I would say most times, God gives us practical ways to bless them so that they will see their spiritual need. And so it says there in verse um, 17, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and then shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in that person? That's convicting, right? If I have everything I need and I have worldly goods that I'm not using and I have people around me that have worldly needs, practical needs, and I go, ah, God will provide for them. 
James says, you who say, hey, see your brother in need, and you say, hey, I'll pray for you. Be warmed, be filled, yet you don't take what God's given you and bless them with it. Are, are, how do you know if God's love really abides in you? God's love gives. It just does. And I love this because God shows us this through Jesus. Jesus is the king of all creation. He's Lord of all. He, it, he spoke and world existed. He has no reason to have to give. And yet he loves us so much that when he sees us in a need and he knows the abundance of the riches of God's grace, he gives us what we need. Not what we deserve, but what we need. He provides for us. Verse 18 of 1 John chapter 3 says this, My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue. Let's not just say we love people, but let's do it in deed and in truth. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, financially, I don't really have much to give. That's fine. What do you have to give? What is God calling you to love the people around you with? For a lot of people, it's just time. If you give them time, that's more than anyone else will give them. If it's finances, then go for it. If it's just loving them and, and listening to them, <laughs> the world needs that. If you've got a practical thing that you know that they need, then give it. You know, we had someone that I knew that needed a car, and I knew someone else that had a car. Hey, what do you think? Talk to both of them. Hey, if, if I had a car that maybe somebody might give you or sell to you at a very cheap price at their loss, would you be okay with it? Yes, we'd love a car. Okay, hey, you got a car, and I know this person with a need. Are you cool with that? Yes, please, I'd love to bless somebody. God does it, right? And that's what Titus is doing. Titus is getting in the middle. He's not trying to take any of it for himself. He just wants to be the middleman. He wants to see God's kingdom work. He wants to see that sharing. So he's, he gets involved personally. And we've sent him, verse 18 says in 2 Corinthians, we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel through all, all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered to us in the glory of the Lord himself to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, and providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. You know, the whole world in many, well, I try not to use those kind of terms like always or every time, but many people in, in our country at least have heard the gospel. They've heard that Jesus loves them, that he wants to save them from their sins, that he wants to procure a place for them in heaven, and that he's already paid for it. Everyone, I can't say everyone, most people that we know have heard that gospel message, right? God loves you, but how many times are we willing to do a practical thing to show them that God loves them. I'm very quick to say God loves you, but I'm, it, it's very hard for me to let go of my pride, to let go of my time, to let go of my finances, to show them in a practical way like no one has before, hey, God does love you. And when they say thank you, when you do this thing, it's very important that we say, hey, don't thank me. God gave me this. God gave me this opportunity. I just wanted to show you in a practical way Jesus cares about your needs. Jesus cares about you. And so I don't know what God's calling you to give, but it's no coincidence that we're in this passage 
What are some practical ways that you can provide for the needs of others to show them that God loves them? Not to show them that you're better than them, not to show them that how much God's blessed you, but to show them how much God wants to bless them. So verse 22 continues. He says, we've sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of anyone who inquires about Titus. The great confidence which we have in you. Okay, so I'm kind of getting lost in this passage, but in this passage, there's just some practical stuff going on. God has provided for the Macedonian church. There's been an offering collected. It's kind of been administrated by Paul. Paul's not going to go to Corinthians and pick it up because he doesn't want to think, them to think that him sharing the gospel was about getting money out of greediness. But then he sends Titus See, they're going to provide for this practical need in Jerusalem, but many times what we think is, well, God wants to provide for that need, but he also wants to provide support while they're in that need. So he's going to send people. When God provides for people's needs, he also provides people to be with them while they're getting those needs provided, if that makes any sense. And so he wants to send people with the gift to tell them of the mercy of God and how he's provided it. Because when they get there, they're going to go, hey, here's this gift. And they're going to go, wow, this is too much. And they're going to go, wait a minute. It's not from us. It's from all the churches in Macedonia and because of the Corinthians in Achaia, another region. And all these people, because they've received something from you, because they've been disciples of Jesus, they wanted to do something practically for you guys. And so all we're doing is we're representing those churches so that when we go back to those churches, we can say, hey, the money went where you thought it was going to go. Accountability. It's not just giving to some cause that you never know what they're doing the money with. It's not just giving money and then not knowing what happened with it, but they're going to go back to their churches afterwards and say, hey, here's one of the stories that I got to see. Or here's this family. Here's their names. Keep praying for them. God, man, they were overflowingly blessed. And so when these ambassadors go and take this money, they get to come and take fruit from it to the people that gave it. I love this because when God gives us, now this isn't always the case. Many times he'll call us to give in a direction and then we'll never know what happened until heaven. But sometimes he'll have us give to a cause and then they'll in our day and age, either send a a video on YouTube and you'll get to see a family practically that you've blessed. You'll get a picture in the mail. We've got one of those children uh, that comes through. uh, It's not Compassion International, but it's something like that where you donate monthly and then they send you updates on how that child is doing and the prayer needs and all of those things. And then like if you're in some famous band, many times those people, eventually they've sent that money and they want to go meet the kid. And so they'll go to whatever foreign country it is, and they'll say, hey, we love you, Jesus loves you, and he's provided this stuff, but we just wanted to come and see you. We wanted to see where you live. We wanted to see your friends, and we want you to know that we are praying for you. We care about you. There's this gap that's been bridged because of what God has done with us, and so we just just have this love that wants to go and to be involved in your lives. All that said, we've sent this Uh, With them, our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner. I'll vouch for him, is what he's saying, and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before... 
Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. You've said you would give. These guys are coming to receive your gift. Get ready. Don't be embarrassed when they come if you don't have anything together. We want you to be ready. Paul didn't want to take an offering. He didn't want to take a love offering because he didn't want them to be compelled by them being there. So that's in chapter 9. Chapter 9 says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, in other words, concerning this offering, it is superfluous to me to write to you. In other words, I don't really need to write to you. He says, for I know your willingness, about which I boast, to you, uh, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Paul left the Corinthians. He heard that they were willing to give in this particular offering. And so he went back to Macedonia, and he goes, hey, the church in Corinth, they were kind of stingy but they're excited about this opportunity to give out of their abundance. And the Macedonian church was like, awesome. We want to do it too. They were stirred up by this testimony. And so he says, yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. Maybe you've forgotten that you said you would give. As I said, you may, so that you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, and we, not to mention you, should be ashamed. <laughs> Imagine this. Imagine if we told uh, the Bridge Bangkok, the church that's gone out there to plant churches and to equip people that are in Thailand. Imagine if we wrote them a letter and said, hey, we're really excited. We want to get involved in your ministry. And they're like, cool, that sounds great. We'll come see you and we'll, we'll receive it. And then we can give thanks to the Lord for it. And imagine they come all the way here, one of their representatives, they get here and, and they're like, hey, we're here to receive the offering that you said you were going to give. And, and we go, what? oh, we totally forgot. All right. Uh, and we all kind of scramble. We're like, here's a few bucks. And they're like, I thought you said you wanted to give. I thought you were sincere about it. Okay, no problem. You know. And then we would be embarrassed. They'd feel embarrassed. It would be this whole weird thing. And so Paul's like, hey, they're coming. So be ready. Go ahead and take the offering. We don't want you to do it because of any other reason than that God has called you to give. Therefore, verse 5 of chapter 9, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you previously had promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Have you ever given something out of a grudging obligation? Did you enjoy it? I mean, it was just like, it wasn't an act of worship or thanksgiving to the Lord. It was just like you felt like you had to, and so you were kind of bitter about it. All right, here's, here's five bucks, or, you know, okay, I'll give to you, you know. All right, I'll help you move this weekend, you know. <laughs> I didn't really want to, but here I am. There's no joy in it. It doesn't represent the Lord. All it does is re- it, it, it causes the person that asked you to never want to ask you again. They're like, fine, I'm never asking them again. That was not even fun. You know, but if you can give with a willing heart that wants to give, that's what represents the Lord. And so Paul says here, he says, uh, I want you to give willingly, not as a grudging obligation. I want it to be an act of worship. I want it to be an act of faithfulness to the Lord. If the Lord calls you to give zero dollars, I want you to do that by faith. If the Lord calls you to give all of your savings, I want you to do it because God's given you the opportunity and he's called you to do it. But unless that, I don't want you to be involved at all. 
I've heard churches and I've heard pastors teach this. Look, if you gave any dime to this church begrudgingly, tell me about it. I'll check the records and I'll give it back to you. I'll write you a check. And I read a blog the other day by this man that decided he was no longer going to be a Christian. And he had written this, this pastor that I'm aware of. And he wrote to him and he said, hey, I'm an atheist now. I served at your church and I know I called myself a believer, but I want my money back. And so some time went by, some time went by, and the pastor eventually got with the board, got with the, the accountant, and they, they checked it out, and they're like, this guy gave 3500 bucks over the course of this many years. And got out the checkbook, wrote a check, put it in the envelope, mailed it to him, said, we're sorry that you're no longer walking with the Lord, and we'll be praying for you. We understand that this was a gift that you feel was a begrudging gift, and we've written a check, here it is back. This is all the money you gave. Thank you for your time serving us, and we hope that we can be a blessing to you in the future. And it was kind of a, a graceful departure. You don't want anybody to walk away from the faith, but you also don't want them to have this grudge against the church because they gave because they felt like they had to. And so they wrote this letter and sent the check to them and said, here you go. As much as depended upon them, they lived peaceable with that man. That man will never be able to say of the church, well, they took my money and they wouldn't give it back. No, they give it back. Hey, don't have a grudge. And I love this because the Lord wants a cheerful giver. He wants us to give whatever we feel called to give. You know, whether it's 10%, whether it's on, the, you know, the, the argument becomes, well, I tithe on my gross or I tithe on the net, what I actually get in my pocket, you know, and, and all those kinds of conversations. And the Lord says, hey, don't get... Don't get all worked up about gross or net or any of that stuff. Just give what the Lord lays on your heart. Give it out of an act of worship. Trust Him with it. And if you'll do that, let me tell you, if you'll do it that way, you'll be blessed. Verse 6, he says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. <laughs> Notice the word all in there. Read that sentence again. He says, God is able. God wants you to give He's the one that's able. You're never able to give. I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit convicting me, I would never let go of the dollars. But the Lord showed me that that is the way to walk faithfully, to give back to the Lord what He's given to me. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, all grace, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God calls you to give. He will provide everything you need on top of that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if you'll do that, if you'll take care of His kingdom and be a part of it in the way He's called you to, then He will provide for you everything you need after that. When we look at our finances, we always look at it this way. Before we do anything else with our money that God has provided for us, we always try to give to Him first because we want to recognize that He comes first. Where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. And God is able to make all grace abound. And then he quotes right down there in, uh, let's see, verse 9. 
He quotes from Psalm chapter 112, verse 9. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The money, the time, the resources, the gifts that God has given you. Many times what we don't think about is what a farmer thinks about. You ever think about this? When a farmer plants a crop, he plants it knowing that the harvest comes later and that no matter how many seeds he throws in the ground, more will come up than he had to start with, right? That's the idea. You're making an investment. When you're taking seed and throwing it out on the ground, think about this. It's seed that you can no longer feed to your animals. It's grain that you can no longer make into bread to eat. You have to give sacrificially to get a multiplication of what you have right? And so think about it. A farmer could very easily go, well, I'd love to sow that field over there and get a harvest, but I have to eat now. I need bread. My animals need fed. What am I going to do if I run out? But no farmer does that. Farmers buy seed knowing that if they sow that seed, it will grow up into more than they had to start with. And then again, they take a portion of that seed and they cast it back on the field so it will grow more later. It's an investment. The same is true in the kingdom. If God gives you seed and you take that seed and you spread out a little bit of it, there will be a harvest from that. And in the meantime, whatever you have left will sustain you because God provides. And so he's saying the same thing. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, this will cause thanksgiving through us to God. When these Macedonians in the Achaean churches take some money out of their funds, out of their personal bank accounts, and they give it to this church in Jerusalem, they will be taken care of in the meantime, while this other church, there will be fruit that grows up from it. And perhaps down the road, when these guys have a lack, this church will provide for them. It's economics and God's economy. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many, thanksgiving to God. When God provides for me, I give thanks to Him, okay? We need to give thanks for what God has provided. Lucy's going through this phase where we give her something, or she wants something. And she'll want something that's not a bad thing, but she's already got something to provide for that need. And so she'll say, Mom, I want this. And typically I'm like, but you already have that. It's just not exactly the one you want. So if we can give thanks for what we have, then if we do get what we want later, even more thanksgiving, right? We have to be thankful for what we have. And so here's the deal, though. If we take what we have and we're thankful for, and we take a portion of it and give it to somebody else, not only will we be thankful, but for those that we've blessed, hopefully there will be thankfulness that comes from them, too, to the glory of Mike Mingy to the glory of the Persley family, to the glory of the Tedford family, the Shipmans, you know, to Miss Kay. No, the glory of God. And so we're spreading out what God's provided so that no, not only can we multiply the blessing, but ultimately so that God's praise will be multiplied. Is your goal with what God's given you to multiply the famousness of God? Everything God's given us is an opportunity to make God famous. 
Do you want to make God famous? Or do you want to be famous? As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, our main goal should be to want to make God famous and so that every tongue and every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the provider, that he's the all-becoming one, that he's everything that we need. Jesus is everything that we need. To the person that lives down the street from you that just got a divorce, they need Jesus. To the person that lives in poverty, they need Jesus. They need that provision too, but they also need Jesus. And once they know Jesus, doesn't mean that everything will get easier. Many times they'll come to church and they won't have anything to give. They'll have a lack. And then at that opportunity, because of their lack, we have an abundance that we'll be able to supply to them and that will multiply praise to the name of our Father in heaven. So there's multiplication of praise. While through the proof of this ministry, verse 13 They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We can give all these things as a thanksgiving offering to the Lord in order to bless other people. And so before we close, I want to show you this multiplication and how it's taken place even in the life of Jesus. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I want to give just a few principles on giving. And then I promise, Lord willing, next week when we get into, and when we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, hopefully we can move on from giving. I feel like I've said that word too many times. But... Apparently not. This is where God has us. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Let me get there. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Jesus is there with his disciples. It says, The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things that had taken place, both what they had done and what they had taught. Jesus had just sent out his disciples to serve. They come back and they're exhausted. They need some rest, right? They're worn out, but they have all these exciting stories to tell Jesus about what has been done as them going out and telling people about the Lord and healing people. So in verse 31, he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. They came to him. They were weary and heavy laden. Jesus offered to them what? Rest. So they get there, right? For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. That's how busy it was for the disciples. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But, here's the but, verse 33, here's what happened. The multitude saw them departing, many knew him, and they ran there on foot from all the cities. Because they knew Jesus, people ran to that group, and they were with Jesus. They arrived before them, and they came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. Compassion is love in action. If you have compassion for somebody, it will move you to do something. God had compassion for us as we were lost, like sheep without a shepherd, and so he got involved. And Jesus is exemplifying this heart of the Father. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep having, a she- having no shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now remember, they went there to get rest. They went there to get rest. And these people followed. And you can imagine the disciples going, oh my goodness, we were supposed to get a nap. 
I was supposed to get rest. We were supposed to get time with Jesus. Now all these people are showing up and they're getting in the way. And all they come to Jesus with is lack. And we came and we did stuff. Why are we not getting our Jesus time? And so he began to teach them anyway. Verse 35, when the day was far spent, it was getting towards nighttime, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is getting late. Send them away that they may go into a surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. That's us. That's the church. People come with needs. Jesus fulfills them. And then they have practical needs. And we go, well, we taught them about Jesus. Send them somewhere so they can take care of their own practical needs. Well, what does Jesus say to them? them? He says, why don't you give to them? You give. Freely you've received from me. Now you go and freely give. Is he talking about sharing the gospel? No, he's talking about feeding them. You give them something to eat. So the disciples are in a quandary. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat, verse 37. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? This was a gargantuan amount of money. They didn't have it. They'd been walking with Jesus for a couple years now. Like, hey, we've been with you. You've been providing for us. What do you mean us go buy them some food? What do you mean us give? What are we supposed to do, Jesus? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They were looking at what they had to offer. And Jesus said, don't look at your bank account. What's in your hands? Think about Moses. Moses went to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. And they said, he said, well, what am I supposed to do? And, and he looked at Moses and he said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? What did Moses have? He had a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. And it turned into a snake. Supposed to be a sign to show Pharaoh, hey, I serve a living God. He's powerful. And then, in the same way, he says to them, What do you have in your hands? And so they looked around the crowd and they found out what they had. They had five loaves of bread and two fish. Here's what we got, Jesus. Cool, that's plenty. Give what you have. So as they gave what they had, probably doubting that it was even possible to feed 5,000 men plus their women and children. When they found out, they said five and two fish, and then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks. They made rows of service. And the disciples that knew Jesus, that were close to him, Jesus gave thanks to the Father, and the bread multiplied, and he handed it out. They had 12 baskets, 12 disciples, 12 baskets, and they went and handed it out. They took what little they had, They gave it to Jesus, and he multiplied it. Everyone ate until they were full. The word means satisfied. I don't know about you guys, but I always eat till I'm satisfied. That's to my detriment because it takes more and more to satisfy me. My stomach keeps growing as I'm getting older. But the idea is they were so full that they were satisfied. It was like they just left the, the big old buffet He didn't just give them a little snacky to get them over. He gave them a a big meal. And what it says there, so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples and set them before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate, they all were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. 
Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So he tells us how many. But notice verse 42, they all ate and were filled. Verse 43, they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. So what they had given, they got back 12 baskets that were still full. They had plenty left over. So the disciples had no food to start with, right? They got it from the little boy. And when they gave what they did have, when they were all said and done, they'd been provided for themselves. So what can we learn from that? If God gives us something, even a little bit, and we give it as he gives us the opportunity, what we'll find is that our needs will be met as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for these principles of giving. And Lord, let us not over-practicalize these things. Obviously, we don't have enough to provide for every person we know. But we do have enough to provide for the people that you've placed in our lives and have broken our hearts for. Lord, give us hearts that look and have compassion on those around us. Lord, help us to not look at what we don't have, but to look at what we do have. Lord, help us not to give begrudgingly, but help us to give cheerfully and willingly in, as an act of faith to be pleasing to you. If you call us to give, Lord, we know that it might cost us something, but it also might bless somebody else and they might come to know Jesus. And so, Lord, as the giver of all good gifts, we thank you for providing us everything we need and we pray that you would provide for the needs of those around us. Open our hearts. Help us not to close off to the needs around us. Help us to be okay with seeing and knowing so many people that have so many needs and then praying, Lord, if you would use me to provide for them, then show me the way. Father, thank you for multiplying what you've given us. Thank you so much for having a heart for those that don't know you. Give us that same heart. Give us hearts willing to give. We love you and we thank you and we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do, including our giving. In Jesus' name, amen.